we need to take this hard R Rambo franchise and make it for kids. What? You mean it wasn't successful? Who could have seen that coming? Radio Drome. Welcome to another useless Thursday night. Why is it useless? Because you're listening to this show. I'm Josh Hadley. You're listening to Radio Drome. With me, as always, is not Peter and not Cecil, because they both have the week off. I did dredge the internet and got Frederick Fritz to sit in. I shall dance upon the ashes of Sony yet. Dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> Before that, what you need to do is go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get three free DVDs, 50% off of a single item, free U.S. shipping, and a free clit bumper, as long as you use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. That said, let's talk about why is this a franchise? I mean, does it surprise you, Fred, when you see maybe a fourth or fifth film in, in you know maybe on the direct-to-video shelf or maybe as a tv movie and you're like the fifth film i didn't even know there was a second a third or a fourth does it surprise you when you kind of go why is this it doesn't matter what it is but just why is this a franchise yeah yeah that that happened i i remember when i saw a uh, copy of lake placid three on a shelf and i i said just what you said there was a two L let's let's look at at some of the creative bankruptcy that comes into this. Now, we'll talk sequels in a little bit, but right now, what do you think makes a franchise? Just using the same title over and over again? Using the same characters? Using the same setting? What constitutes a franchise to you? Obviously, what constitutes a franchise in the legal sense, like the National Lampoon movies. That's a franchise, even though only five of them are actually related to one another. There's like 30 of them. So... Mm -hmm. To you, what, what is the difference between a National Lampoon-style franchise and, say, a Friday the 13th franchise that at least pretends to have some continuity between films? I, I think that the easy answer here would be one that takes place, at the very least, within the same universe. We see stories all the time. You know, if, if you're a comic book fan, and I know you know about this, you know they're constantly rebooting series and oh this is a different universe this is a different continuity this is a you know and to me a franchise is generally something at least at the bare minimum acknowledging each other within the same universe because you'd like to say the same characters continuing or whatever but realistically we know that's not possible i mean the the general number for a film franchise it seems excluding marvel which of course has changed the game used to be about three films Count on seeing the same actor in about three movies, and that was it. Uh, then you started getting the direct-to-video knockoffs, and you know, and they, they might bring somebody back when they were older, and you know, think Highlander. So yeah, I'd say something that the very least takes place in the same universe, uh, acknowledging the previous events. That said, what if something is in the same universe but not part of a franchise? For instance, The Rock and Armageddon. 
where they have the same president in both movies and Armageddon actually had a line of dialogue in the script referencing Nicolas Cage's character of Godspeed. So would that make Armageddon and The Rock a franchise or was that just kind of in jokes because they were both Bruckheimer, Michael Bay films? I mean, does that come as a, or, or even like all the Elmore Leonard stuff, like how the Karen Sisko character bounces between movies or, or Michael Keaton's character is in Jackie Brown and out of sight as the same character. They aren't part of the same franchise, but aren't they? Well, it, and it's a fair question. I would say the answer is no, because that, that to me is more like being clever, you know, like how in the J.J. Abrams films, they have like the slusho product pops up in all the films and even it's pops just up in not, Star Trek. Yeah, it's it, I think that there's a different you have to allow for a difference between a clever nod and the same creators. You know, Quentin Tarantino tries to tie together his films in the loosest way, but you can't really say they're part of a franchise. So I think it does have to again, it has to have something to do with the continuing of the storyline from that universe. That's why I kind of tagged that on. I think it's got to be to be fair then I would say the Elmore Leonard stuff does. Because, for instance, the Ray Nicolette character and Karen Sisko bouncing from the movies to the TV series and whatnot, the Elmore Leonard stuff is actually pretty tight, and he does use, like, the Ray Nicolette character in Out of Sight references the events of Jackie Brown. Like, somebody like Michael Keaton as Ray Nicolette, mm -hmm. is he a franchise character then? I mean, is he really? Uh, a franchise character? Because, okay, he's been played by Michael Keaton in two movies, and then he was played by Peter Horton in the TV series. So that character has appeared in multiple different things as the same evolving character. True. Uh, I think this is getting into the uh, the picking of nits, though, a little bit. You know, when you look at how involved the character was in one story, not that much. He was just there versus another where he was part of the story. Uh, I think it was just a matter of, hey, we're doing another story. This character's in there. Can we get Michael Keaton? What needs, how many films, how many entries needs to be in a franchise? For instance, like Waxwork. Mm -hmm. Waxwork is two films. Is that a fr is that the Waxwork franchise then? Since it's it's just two films, especially because the second film kind of contradicts most of the first film. Do you kind of go, well, you weren't even trying to make a franchise. You just used the number. Is Waxwork a franchise? Well, that's, again, a... Uh... You know, there's a lot of angles to that because how about Evil Dead? Not, you know, none of the Evil Dead films connect, uh, but yet well, they have two and elements. Kind of do. Yeah, but they bring in a new Linda. They come up with a new backstory. It, they reboot the whole thing each time. It's almost become a joke, really. I, I would say, like with Waxworks, I would have liked another Waxworks film personally. I wish it would have gone into that. Well, we'll do what we're saying is franchise, generally more than a couple. I don't know. I, I don't see why you can't call it a franchise, but to me, it's a franchise by itself is sort of like think of a McDonald's, you know, if you've got them popping up anywhere and everywhere, it's a franchise. And so I almost think you have to be more than two, really. I, like has to be a product that's got legs and can continue uh, to be successful enough. I, I think that should probably be the definition at the very least. After two, they stop being part of the same franchise, but they are like Cannonball Run. Okay, first you had mm -hmm. Gumball Rally in the in the 70s, which Cannonball Run was essentially a remake of, you know, almost officially. It just wasn't mm -hmm. legally. Then you had Cannonball Run 2, and then you had Speed Zone, which was made as Cannonball Run 3, but then they decided not to call it that. And then you had Rat Race, which was made as Cannonball Run 4. So are Rat Race, Speed Zone, and Gumball Rally part of the Cannonball Run franchise, or is the Cannonball Run franchise 
only the two movies with Burt Reynolds. Well, again, I'm going to have to say no, just because they weren't created necessarily as part of the whole. But Speed Zone was. Were, Speed Zone well, was shot Speed as Zone three. Was, but nobody came back. I mean, like, nobody came back. Not even a single actor, as far as I recall. Does it? Actually, uh, come back? no, uh, Speed Zone was Dean Martin's last film. He does play the same character in it. But it just was not released as Cannibal Run 3. I haven't oh. seen that since like 94 or whatever. You know what? He's in like out. the priest outfit or something, isn't yeah. he? They don't say his name. That's right. He's at the bar. Yeah. And he, he so, never says his name. All so right. is, Speed Zone okay. an actual, is Speed Zone an actual Cannibal Run sequel or not? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, there's part of me that just wants to instinctively say no. But given that there's so much in common with it, you almost have to say yes, don't you? I mean, it's uh, forgetting the Dean Martin character. Let's say he's not in it. Um, it's another road race. It's it's uh, it's definitely in that vein. Obviously, I wish it did come back. I heard they're going to do a remake of Cannibal Run, but uh, I, I hope that if they do this, they they do something fresh and fun with it. I'm afraid it'll just be Fast and the Furious Cannibal. <laughs> uh, gosh, I don't know. I I would say yeah, sure. Why not? Why, like, why can't it be? Parts of a franchise specifically say other parts of a franchise didn't happen. So then those parts of the franchise didn't happen. For instance, like Universal Soldier. Universal Soldier came out in 1992, I think it was. And then Universal Soldier 2 and 3 were Showtime original movies. Okay, and they were sequels to that. Then another film came out in the 90s called Universal Soldier 2, which ignored the two Showtime movies. Then a movie came out that said Universal Soldier 3 that was a sequel to the two Showtime movies but ignored the ac- the other Universal Soldier 2. And then another movie came out and said we're ignoring all of that. It's a sequel to the first film. Can you even call Universal Soldier a f***ing franchise at that point when every film that comes out says the previous film didn't happen? Yeah, well now we're getting into the corporate franchise. We're getting into that property where it can be sold off. And, you know, if they can lucky enough to get the actors back, they do that a lot. So this is where things start to get complex. I mean, that's why I said in my mind, a a franchise does continue the story in the same universe. And when they start saying, oh, this didn't happen, and but this did, but that didn't, that's when things become very convoluted. And, you know, maybe we should go backwards here and address a very simple concept that whenever you create something original, obviously in Hollywood, the first thing you want to do is, you know, how can we make more money from this? How can we turn it into a franchise? We've been that way for about 20 years now. But they've always wanted to do this. Um, going back in time to the, we're talking the black and white, you know, uh, there's a series of films called the Andy Hardy films with Mickey Rooney. There's 16 of those, man. So it, it's nothing new in that 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 thought process. But where I was going to go was it's sort of like Spider-Man. Let's take Spider-Man, for example. Spider-Man has this really great story, right? And yet they keep wanting to do the origin story. Well, that's because... All stories have a problem, and that is you tell the story, and then if you want to do another one, you have to continue the story. And then if you want to do another one, you have to continue the story. And obviously, it gets crazier and crazier, especially when you're dealing with something as far out as you know science fiction, fantasy, superheroes, whatever. And each film gets a little crazy, because you got to answer the questions of the last film, man. And these films can take years and years and years to come out. They're always left with resolving the problems in the last movie. And they just go, ah, screw it. Let's just reboot the whole thing. That's the thing. They they just, they get tired of dealing. Halloween's a great example, right? With H2O. That's what they did with that, right? The, all those others didn't happen. 
They just none of that happened. So they've been doing that for years, and it's just a matter of I, I think they just don't have the creative ability to write themselves out of that corner. You know, they don't hire the people who who do that kind of thing, who love that kind of thing. It was like, oh, let's see if we can solve that problem, and it just goes on and on and and after a while, it just gets tired. And what do you do with it, right? Let's look at some franchises that are going to surprise people at how long they went on. Let's leave out the financial aspect of obviously they keep making movies in this franchise because it makes money. I want to look at the creative side. Did you realize that counting the TV pilot, which never aired, there are four Legally Blonde movies? Who was asking for that? Who was saying, you know what, after that after that Legally Blonde 3 direct-to-video, this could be a TV series. Because most people are going to go, there was a third Legally Blonde movie? Like, who is asking for that? Who asked for a Crocodile Dundee 3 made 20 years after the fact? Who the hell asked for seven Step Up movies? Who in the hell asked for a fifth Karate Kid or a fourth one for that matter? There are nine Medea movies. Why are there nine Medea movies? I said, leave the finances out just creatively. Why? Who was asking for these? Can can I at least bring up one thing financial and then I will go into it? Would that be all Fair right? Enough. There's a thing called the law of diminishing returns with sequels. Can't, I think it was Roger Corman was the original person that talked about this. But he uh, used he used Carnosaur as an example, by the way. Yeah, Planet of the Apes is where this became very like evident, and this is the most commonly cited example that with every sequel they make less money, and then so they make they they put a smaller budget into it that way the return is still greater and then with each progressive film you put even less money into the next one again hoping to get more again just looking at that financial we know why they do it because somebody says oh legally blonde one and two made x amount of dollars well we can't get reese witherspoon she wasn't in three right i'm assuming reese witherspoon was not in three no she was not in three and she was not in the tv show okay although the so tv show was about her character so they recast her for the tv pilot okay fair enough they couldn't get reese witherspoon back so somebody says okay this thing has legs we, we spend this amount of dollars we'll probably get X amount of dollars back. You know, they forecast on this kind of thing. It's a speculative market. All right. That's how movies are. They're, they're an entire speculative market. That leads into your question, I think, which is then who's asking for it? How do they figure they're going to get X amount of dollars, right? That that's what we're, uh, we're ultimately talking about. Who's paying for this? I can't answer the question directly. I'm not like a big fan. The first movie was cute. I mean, it was okay. I don't have any problem with it. The sequel it was I... harmless and stupid, but it was yeah. unnecessary. It was harmless, silly. I, I don't know about unnecessary. Is any film necessary? It was, you know, what it was, it, you know, channel fluff, <laughs> you know, uh, the second one. I think I fell asleep during it. I was watching it at home. I fell asleep during it. But who's calling for these things? Well, whoever loves it, I guess. Whoever was drawn to those other films and said they loved them and bought X amount of copies. And uh, who loves any of these? You know, the witchcraft franchise. Who the heck freaking loves those? And they kept going Me. for forever. Well, there you go. See, there's a market. And if there's a market, I know you don't you want to leave the financial end. That's why they make them. It's the question, why do people buy them? Well, because there's somebody that loves it, I guess. I want to I want to throw a qualifier out here, like with the witchcraft thing. After about the fourth one, they stopped having any continuity, even though the continuity was f 
to begin with, but mm-hmm. they stopped having any continuity and they were just in name only. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. Let's, but like stuff like the legally blondes, all you know, they take place in the same universe. All the all three Free Willy movies take place in the same universe. All the Iron Eagle movies take place in the same universe, etc. So that's where I'm asking who was asking for another one of these. Not a witchcraft thing where it's just the name. I really want to see these characters go on. That's my my big question is, who was asking for, what are there, seven Chucky movies now? Yeah, I I don't know. I I think six and the seventh is on the way. Again, I I can't really answer your question directly. I don't think anybody can because it's about love it's it's about passion you know why why does a sitcom continue a sitcom is nothing more than a sequel after sequel after sequel any tv show is these characters are continuing you know breaking bad hey it's over right no now we got better call saul it's a prequel you know did we need it no the story was told it's over we even know what happened to saul i think there's just this desire for things not to end maybe that's something to even think about like simpsons why is simpsons still on really why you think there's a there'd be a carrying capacity of just hearing the name simpsons until you start screaming bloody madness they still make them right and and people often give this thing now we're getting into tv a little bit here but like about firefly okay i enjoyed firefly it's one of the few joss whedon projects i actually enjoyed and i loved serenity the movie so fine i admit that But everyone's like, oh, my God, it was canceled too soon. I want another season, blah, blah, blah. But look at the track record. Whenever a show goes on like that, it tends to die. Something like Firefly probably lasted as long as it needed to. Counting Serenity as a movie, you got almost your complete story. Imagine if Firefly was now in its seventh season. It probably would be the same thing you just said about The Simpsons. Why is Firefly still on the air? Well, that's just it. A lot of these, with a TV series, a lot of them don't have an ending already planned out. So they can go on and on and on until there's lack of interest. And then they just die out. They just get canceled. They're forgotten. As time has gone on, now audiences are starting demanding. You know, we've watched this for umpteen seasons. You better give us an ending. And if they want that DVD sale, that Blu-ray sale, they know they have to give an ending. Otherwise... You know, the DVDs and that won't sell because why Why own it? There's no ending. Let's look at like the Scream franchise. First film was super popular, so you knew they were going to follow it up with a sequel, which didn't go over so well. They inexplicably made a third film, which went over even worse. Then they made a fourth film years later that nobody liked. So now let's turn it into a TV series. Is it like they just can't let it die, even though nobody was asking for a Scream 3, a Scream 4, or a Scream MTV series? They just were like, just just do it. I think, uh, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I think it was Max Landis in an interview that was talking about sitting in on any production meeting is one of the most frustrating things because everything is IP now, which is intellectual property. In other words, something that has a name attached to it. That's why you're getting Monopoly the movie, okay, for example. And it seems as if that's all that people are interested in. And it, it's, it is harder for something original to to get heard it just it is and it's weird why why is everybody rushing to see independence day right now nobody asked for that so i i I don't know i i i think until we hit that day people just stop going they're like you know what i'm dead tired of it and they stop going to see these movies and there's like one bad year like just one just dead summer of movies it's not going to stop 
what about when a franchise was never meant to be a franchise and wow can you tell like you said it's changed now how now movies get made with the possibility of sequels as a you know we drop little story story hints that we don't finish so we can do that in the sequel that i think is what you were implying how marvel kind of changed the game how they intended more movies straight from the get-go right Mm -hmm. Yeah, they built in the franchise clause almost. But then you got stuff like The Hangover. The Hangover was just was just a solitary movie. I thought it was vapid shit, but it was a you know solitary movie that was such a big hit. They were like sequel, sequel, sequel. So Todd Phillips farted out the exact same movie, but over in Thailand or Singapore or some Asian country. I only saw that piece of shit once, and it was the same movie. Then all of a sudden they're like, well, we need a third one. So all of a sudden Hangover Three comes out, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So this minor bit player from one and two was always pulling the strings and was this big crime lord and you know you kind of go no what the hell are you doing well that's that's the spider-man theory because I, I didn't really complete it i forgot to mention like you get to the something as insane as the clone wars you know what i'm sorry the clone saga i'm sorry clone wars of star wars i apologize <laughs> The uh, Clone Saga, which is just insanity, and because they never stop, and there, there's that point at which something, look, stories are a three-act structure for the most part, right? We understand this conceptually, because you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and, and you, you have, you know, your conflict, your structure, and your resolve. Now, when you make a movie, you do it. It's all there. It's all in there, unless you intended for a bigger story like Star Wars. So by the time you got to Return of the Jedi, there, it's it's over, right? That's it. That's the, well, till now. <laughs> but but there, a it's hope, a three-act structure. Was a, but A New Hope was a self-contained story. If there were no sequels, you still got a complete story in A New Hope. There, there was intended, though, is what I'm saying. Right. There was a lot open to allow for, okay, this can go on, is a point. Whereas with what you're saying with Hangover, there wasn't. It was resolved. By the time you get to that third movie, well, that's your third act, right? If it's a trilogy, that's your third act. You need your result. Well, what are you resolving? What is the resolution? And it gets it. They come up with again. It's their clone saga. They have to create something absurd to lay all this on. That's it. That that's how you get something as weird as that. What about when you have just an umbrella of unrelated films, or in the case I'm going to bring up, relatively unrelated films? that all just share the same name, like the National Lampoon movies. Now, leaving aside the five vacation movies, they're all separate. But there are like 26 National Lampoon movies. Why? Because when National Lampoon was was finding, after actor Tim Matheson, an actor I really like, made the idiotic move to a hostile takeover of National Lampoon magazine, he, he basically usurped the magazine from its creators, and he ran that thing into the ground in the early 90s. They were so desperate to stay afloat, he just licensed out the National Lampoon name to anyone who was interested for their movie. Now you might ask, who the hell was clamoring for National Lampoon movies in the early 90s? If you're an American, nobody. In Europe, that name still held a heavy hammer over there. So National Lampoon was a big boon to have all these movies brought under. So you kind of got to wonder... Like I said, leaving out the, the vacation movies, which would be a franchise, what about the National Lampoon movies? You know, when, when they're literally just selling the name to whoever can pay the price. Boobs. 
The answer is boob. And you know what? It just made me think of this, too, that with each of these films that we're bringing up here, I think that there is something that can be associated with each. And perhaps that's it. You know, with some, there's a safe zone. And, and, and I think that's the idea behind all of IP, really. It's, oh, I know that. That's a better risk than this thing I don't know, I've never heard of, and sounds kind of weird and funky. It's something you can fall back onto, you know, legally blonde. Oh, I know that character. Oh, she was so sweet and fun. And so people that liked her character feel safe in investing in that character again. With National Lampoon's stuff, boobs. That's, oh, if I watch, there's boobs in this. I'm going to watch this. I think that's it. I think that's the simple answer, and it's the truest answer. Well, with the National Lampoon franchise, for lack of a better term, do you think things would have been different with that if Saturday Night Live had happened the way it was supposed to? A little bit of history for everybody. National Lampoon had a radio show in the early 70s, the National Lampoon Radio Hour, because they were all, they were already franchising, and then they'd made National Lampoon's Animal House, and you know they, they were making these National Lampoon products, if you will, by the late 70s. Well, NBC approached National Lampoon to make the National Lampoon Radio Hour into an adult late night TV show. They were originally offered Saturday Night Live, and they turned it down because they didn't think it was a good idea. Lauren Michaels stole most of their writers and most of their cast. You look at Dan Aykroyd and Bill, Bill Murray and John Belushi and all that. All these people were actors on the National Lampoon Radio Hour. Half of their cast and most of their writers went to Saturday Night Live. So in essence, Saturday Night Live is, the Nash, is National Lampoon the TV show without the name. So is it kind of ironic that they would sell the name to anyone they wanted in the 90s, where in the 70s they were so protective of diluting it? Like, if the Saturday Night Live thing had turned out differently, do you think the National Lampoon franchise would have happened differently? Well, I don't know if I can equate one equally with the other. I mean, SNL, Johnny Carson owned Late Night. Saturday Night was reserved for a rerun of one of the shows of that week's Carson. And Carson didn't like the idea of the show being rerun like that, so he tried to pick something, it's well known, he tried to pick something benign that could just fill the slot. He approved this whole venture because he thought it'd be nothing. He didn't foresee this great future. I mean, SNL being a hit was a complete accident. So I don't know if I can qualify the idea of SNL changing the history of National Lampoon. I think you hit it already with what Matheson did. I, I think Matheson destroyed what it could be, uh, which is a shame. I like Matheson. I don't mean that as a bad thing, like negative towards him. I like no, He's Matheson. a great I, actor, but yeah, he did I, not know how to run a magazine. It sounds like to me, yeah, he did not, as a businessman, he did not know what he was doing. He, and... lo he loved the brand so much, he thought he should be running it when they, when the creators said no he bought up all their shares and did a hostile takeover. And you know what? He proved himself wrong. He didn't know how to run it. They were right. Yeah, well, apparently they ran it out of love and he saw it as a business opportunity. I'm not saying he didn't love it. Again, I'm, I, I want to be careful here. I don't know what his intentions were or his thought processes, but I know that you're right. After he bought it, it went into the ground. I, I, that's probably it. They were very protective and that's probably what did protect it for all those years. And it was a quality name. And, and now it's uh, pretty well worthless in that respect. Well, do you think that, that a franchise that nobody realizes goes on is even worth it anymore? Like Smokey and the Bandit. We're going to do a retrospective probably before the end of the year of the seven Smokey and the Bandit films. Mm -hmm. I bet most people don't realize there are more than two. 
I bet people know. don't even realize that there was a third theatrical film, let alone the four TV movies in the 90s. Does Smokey and the Bandit really hold the same cachet when nobody remembered Smokey and the Bandit when those four TV movies aired? Well, it, it's more surprising when you think, you know, Smokey and the Bandit 3 is sort of entered into infamy because originally Jackie Gleason was supposed to be both the Smokey and the Bandit. I want to see that version, by I the way. That's so, so good. Yeah, they didn't finish it, though. That's why we probably never will, sadly. And yeah, the film we got was a far inferior it explains the weird editing, too, when you see the movie. But whatever, it does make you wonder, like, why did they consider, hey, we could get back at this? From what I understand of the TV series, uh, there was a channel. Uh, they were going to make, not a channel, but they were going to make an, a block called the Action Block. Yeah, and it, uh, Smokey and the Bandit was supposed to be their franchise leader. But here's yeah. the thing. These were not quick, cheap cash-ins. Yeah, they couldn't get Burt Reynolds or, or Jerry Reed anymore. They were all, all four TV movies were still directed by Hal Needham. And you're yeah. like, well, you know, so they didn't even go to a TV director. Hell, Needham still made these. Well, I think it was, again, going back to the concept of IP, that they were hoping the name was enough to kick off this this thing they wanted, this, this, this channel. Uh, Hell, Needham's career was obviously not doing well at that time period, sad to say, but it wasn't. So it probably wasn't really hard to get them back. I've seen one of the films, and uh, sadly, it's okay, but it looks like a made for tv movie and it's not that good so i think in that case that's just one of those examples of eh, it it it's it is exactly what it sounds like all right well what about a franchise where you don't even know some of the films in the franchise because maybe they don't use numbering or the 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 names go to other things for instance there are a lot of people you were on the episode when we, when we did the dirty harry retrospective none of the dirty harry movies are numbered there are so many people that are like, and the Dirty Harry movies were, a, a lot of people think Tightrope and The Gauntlet are Dirty Harry movies. And it's like, no, no, they weren't. Or or even The French Connection. A lot of people forget that The 7-Ups is a sidequel, that Roy Scheider is playing the buddy character from French Connection in The 7-Ups. The 7-Ups is a French Connection movie, but it's also its own movie. You know, Soldier is an official sidequel to Blade Runner. So that's part of the Blade Runner franchise. Do you think it's really a franchise to the mainstream if they don't even realize that one of the films is part of a franchise? An, an audience member who may, maybe they've seen The French Connection and then they catch the 7-Ups on late night TV. Do you think they're even going to realize that Roy Scheider is the same character and that the, re, the, the previous case he refers to is The French Connection? Do they even care if this is part of a franchise? Or are they just watching two 70s New York action movies? I remember growing up watching that movie and I didn't even know. And I had seen The French Connection films. So I would say they don't in that particular case. Um... Because as, as, if, if they're not really connected in any other way, maybe that's a bad example because Roy Schreider even looks like he did from French Connection. So that's well, probably a bad example. because he is example. the same character. It's yeah, just, he is the same character. I, I know that just, now. Just Popeye Doyle happens to not be in it. Right, right. And I think, I can't remember, but I don't know if they even ever say his name in the movie. No, they too. only call him Buddy. They never say his last name. Yeah, I think there was a legal issue with that. And I, I know you and I would, I, we won't go into it here. I, I still disagree with the soldier being part of the universe. I know David Webb Peeble says that, but. Uh, but there's all the references as well. It's the, well, the references are there. I don't disagree with that part of it. There's a spinner in the junkyard for crying But there's also God. references to Tannhauser Gate and some of the mm -hmm. other things. Oh, yeah, they're all in there. It's just that's a 
those are cutesy nods and same writer. So as far as the audience is concerned, uh, again, I don't think that that was the intention for them to be franchises. And who knows, maybe they were trying to stave off the connection too. They were like, well, there's enough good material here, but we don't want to call it that, you know, whatever you, cause that, you know, Blade Runner bombed, you know, (laughs) as an example. So you don't want that. So maybe we'll call it something different. So perhaps that's why that happens. Is it funny how the audience has changed their notion of franchises? When we were growing up, when we were coming up, there was a thing by the late 80s, early 90s that people started to call sequelitis. I remember reading about this in Cine Fantastique and Premiere and Entertainment Weekly all the time. Sequelitis. That once you got past part six of a franchise, you'll notice they almost always stop numbering them. Most of these were direct-to-video VHS at this point. People don't want to rent part seven, part eight, part nine of a franchise if they're not caught up. But if they just see Halloween H2O, they don't realize that it's the seventh film in the franchise. So is it kind of funny how now, especially like New Line and Miramax and all that are going out of their way to tack on to make things part of a franchise that were never intended to be? Whereas in the early 90s, sequelitis was making everyone not want to be part of the same franchise. Isn't it funny how things have changed, Fred? Uh, Yeah, I I think it makes sense to a certain degree. I mean, back in our day, they did have films that didn't that were sequels that didn't have numbers. You know, the Porky's films, you know, like Porky's Revenge instead of Porky's 3. I think, wait, come to think of it, what, what was that other one? Oh, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. Uh, there was another one like that, too. But I think the, what you said there is the answer. Sequelitis. Uh, I think that the numbers carried such a stigma that that's why they stopped doing it. In fact, but they did. They weren't seeing that the real issue was that the films were getting worse with each number. And so it wasn't that there was a number attached to it. It was that the films attached to it weren't very good. So people equated one with the other. You know, once you're up to three and four and... It's it's straight downhill, and I, I but, think that's but, but what happened there. That's the rub. It's an Ouroboros. Like, to go back to something you said earlier, they started the law of diminishing returns, so they would lower the budget so the film wasn't as good, which mm-hmm. means it didn't do as well. So they would lower the budget and so forth and so forth that if they had maybe kept the budget the same, they could have made an equally high-quality film, which would have kept the franchise going. Isn't it an, isn't it an Ouroboros? Isn't this a snake eating its own tail, the, the, the studio logic of this? It is, and that's the funny thing. It's it, Good grief, how many times have we said this, but you've got to have a good script, man. It, it, you have to start with a good story. There has to be a reason to tell that story. You know, heaping praise on the new Marvel movies, and I, I think they're forgetting some very basic thoughts here. I mean, they're doing it right as far as, yeah, they're putting the money and the time into it, unlike those films of the past. They're forgetting that there's so much to draw from. You know what I mean? That this universe is huge, man. You know, there are books written about the books and there's entire dictionaries and uh, encyclopedias about the characters and their universes and their backstories. And and so it's like it's it's almost weird that it took this long to really tap it. If there's anything weird about it, it's it's that it took this long for them to wake up and, and kind of see it. And it's like, oh, wait, you mean if we put a lot of money into this thing that people already know and it's developed and has a great backstory, oh, we could make more money? And uh, it's it's sort of funny. But with the others, they had to create original scripts each time. Like Aliens are a good, good example. You know, the, the story's over at the end of Alien, but they found a way to continue it. But every time they do a sequel, they had to write a brand new story. There wasn't this big backlog of stories to go, oh, which story could we tell? You know, sort of like when you go, oh, we're going to do a Charles Dickens book, right? 
and you know we're going to do this story or that story that Charles Dickens wrote or any of these other authors or anybody Shakespeare anyone or even a crime novel series it's i think it just comes down to that more than anything it's like it comes to that basically you got to have the story to start and then you got to be willing to put the money into it and then you got to get the talent that can deliver it you got to get good actors and if you get cheat on the actors you you lose it. How many TV shows have done that? They cut half the cast you love and, you know, they cut the budget and then they're so shocked when the TV show does crappy that season. It's it's a joke, really. You brought up something interesting with the Alien franchise. Because, see, 20th Century Fox, I get why they wanted Ripley to come back in 1986 because they didn't know if this franchise had legs yet. They didn't know if this this kid, James Cameron, could really deliver on what he said. So, fine, I get that. But then after that... They insisted that every film has to star Ripley. That was one of the things about all those like 17 different discarded Alien 3 scripts. They were almost all discarded because Ripley wasn't in it. And then when Resurrection came up, they're like, you have to have Ripley. Their logic was, if the audience doesn't have a character they know, they're not going to go to a sequel. And that is just insane to me, isn't it? Isn't it to you that Ripley has to be in this? We can't ever tell a story where Ripley's not the f***ing main character? Well, I will agree with you. But again, looking at what sells, I understand what the thought process was. It's just, it's wrong. They're attributing the success to the wrong element again. Okay, just like we were talking about the numbers. They're attributing the failure to the wrong element. If I may use Marvel as the example again... Uh, or, you know, no, let's switch gears. Star Trek. Here's one that's actually fascinated me. Star Trek has a gargantuan mythology, right? Would you agree with that? I mean, comparative to other science fiction franchises. So why have we not had a Klingon film? A series about Klingons? Oh, no, they, they actually wanted this uh, prior to Enterprise when uh, UPN was looking for the next Star Trek. It was actually suggested... It was Berman and Braga and Pillar were working on a Star Trek anthology series mm -hmm. where every episode would take place at a different time. A, you know, one episode might be the, a completely Klingon episode that takes place right before Wrath of Khan. Another one might take place 10 years after Voyager made it home. You know, in a Starfleet one, one might be a Romulan. The reason Paramount nixed it was without continuing characters, people are not going to come. So they said, OK, how about this? Because there's a, I'm going to get Star Trek nerd here. There's a thing called the triangle in Star Trek continuity. It's this uh, blank area of space that is right between the Klingon, Romulan, and Federation borders that nobody claims. In Classic Trek, Next Generation, and Deep Space Nine, there's, there's a criminal organization called the Orion Syndicate. They're essentially the mob for space. They operate out of this area called the triangle. So then Berman and Braga said, how about we do an Orion Syndicate, a crime show? set in the Star Trek universe. They're like, no, no, no. We need we need good guy It was basically, UPN was afraid of doing anything that was not, quote, Star Trek. So they went with Enterprise, and we all know how that turned out. The Honestly, I would have watched both the Orion Syndicate and an anthology series, because those both sound cool. But I'll tell you what, I'll bet the anthology series would have failed. I do agree with that point. Without, like, that would make a nice side project, to Star Trek, maybe do some direct-to-video ones. That would be kind of cool. But I, I agree. I don't think that'd make it. It make it wouldn't make it for the same reason Halloween three didn't make it. Anthologies do not appeal to the general public because they don't know what they're getting each time, and they don't like that. That's why IP is popular. I do think they're wrong, however, 
by not going and following like another race of people. Again, like if it was just a Klingons where we followed their characters and we got to know them or Ron or whoever, you know what I'm saying? It's a big universe that ties back to your, your Ripley thought that it's like you could do so much more. It, what made that a cool, like Ripley's story was done at the end of part two. I think most people agree with that. Her arc was over. You, you had really done what you could with the character. And what happens in part three? Well, you did the only thing you could do with her. You destroyed her life. That's it. That's all you could do. You would, And also, they couldn't think of anything to do with, with Newt or Hicks, so just kill them. Just kill them, yeah. There was nothing more to do with her. That's, again, back to what we're talking about, the arc theory, all right? When the arc is over, when the story is done, you move on to the next story. And you could have created some new characters. You could have had Ripley introduce them, you know, the, the passing of the torch, as they say. They could have done it, but they didn't, and it was a mistake. The idea, I thought, was Colonial Marines. Think of how many different stories you could tell about the colonial marines. Oh, definitely. And my gosh, doesn't that just scream franchise? Yeah, exactly. See, what I think 20th Century Fox should do, yes, I'm officially pitching this right now, Colonial Marines TV series for FX. You set it during the time Ripley is still in hypersleep on the Narcosis. So the entire first season is building up and hinting towards the company knowing about the aliens and things like that. And you're you, watching them in Earth conflicts and other races, which they mention in Aliens and stuff. So we know other alien races are out there. And then you have Ripley's shuttle. You have the Narcussus be discovered in the season one finale. And you make this for FX. You tell me that would not be really good if done properly. Well, right. In that case, I agree. I think uh, it's open. There's so many possibilities. Uh, the only reason it wouldn't happen now is because the game failed. They change the titles of movies all the time just because, oh, it's got the word dragon in it. Oh, dragons don't sell. So, you know, it's the same movie, but get rid of the word dragons in the title. It's So Red Dragon becomes Manhunter. Yeah, it's silly. It's They do this all the time. They, it's like, hey, we understand the color blue. There's these comic books that sell that. And they all have blue in the cover. Put blue in the cover. It's like absurd. It's, tell a good story, dang it. What about franchises, again, that people probably don't realize went on this long, that they somehow seem to think the name still had value all these years later? Like Crocodile Dundee 3 came out almost 20 years after the first two. And remember, the second one was not a financial success. What do you think prompted them to go, you know what? Crocodile Dundee, I bet we can get Paul Hogan back. Or like Revenge of the Nerds 3 and 4 as Fox TV movies years after Revenge of the Nerds 2 didn't bomb, but it didn't do great at the box office. You know, what makes them think all of a sudden Police Academy, the TV series, the last three movies were bombs. Now it needs to be a TV series five years after the last movie bombed. What makes these people think there's still some life in what is, for all intents and purposes, a dead franchise? Uh, I guess it depends on who's backing it and who's behind it and you know, they, they would probably do market research. I mean, Crocodile Dundee 2 didn't do well, but it didn't bomb either. And so they... I actually they, enjoyed it, too. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. The third no. film, not so much. Yeah, the, well, the third film's a mistake on a lot of levels. It, but whatever, the, the, not to review the movie, but why the movie exists is it's a pleasant character. And, you know, they probably saw a hole in, in, in like, there's not many comedies. I don't know what came out that year. And I have to look at all that. I don't have any of that with me right here. It was probably just a matter of, you know, here's a pleasant character. He's got some value still, probably. You know, they probably looked at the, the sales of the VHSs 
at the time, or I think DVDs were out by that point. So yeah, because the Crocodile Dundee three was a direct to video title. Even so, I think that they probably had a lot of good sales and said, "Hey, this is really still popular." On you know, they they looked at the bottom line again. I guess is what I'm trying to say. They just looked at the bottom line, saw that there was still some name value, and tried to make it, but they made a crappy movie. Okay, what about when they're they're bleeding their own franchise off too fast? For instance, something like Dumb and Dumber. There are three movies and a cartoon, and you're like, okay. Or Bill and Ted, two movies and a cartoon. RoboCop, cartoon. Conan, kids cartoon. Even Toxic Crusaders. When you start bleeding an R-rated project into kids' territory... Is that not diluting your own franchise to the point where, because, I mean, nobody could have gone, you know what, we need to take this hard R Rambo franchise and make it for kids. What? You mean it wasn't successful? Who could have seen that coming? Isn't that just the ultimate, you know your franchise is dead when it becomes a kid's cartoon? When when you're going from an R-rated base? Because, I mean, Jackie Chan, Chuck Norris, Conan, RoboCop, Toxic Crusaders. I'm sure there's more that I'm missing right now. And you're like, what? Well, uh, in that particular case, uh, the answer is yes, 100%. And I think it's it's the dead zone because it's the last hurrah for them to make money off of the IP. And all those that you named, they tried to make toys from each of those, too. So I think that that's also a factor you got to... Put in because how much money did they put into it? How much money did they think they could get out of it? A lot of those cartoons were animated overseas. Uh, they were made cheaply and they looked cheap as heck. That's why the animation is very stilted and you know, like somebody will be standing perfectly still, but just the mouth is moving. <laughs> <laughs> until they have to move them. So again, it was just that law of diminishing returns. They said, hey, we can make this for X amount of dollars. Man, I I, I know this sounds so bitter and nihilistic. It sounds so jaded, doesn't it, Josh? <laughs> but it's it's true. It, they were looking at like how much it cost to make and how much they thought the IP would bring back. And I bet toys were a factor too. All right, I, I get that. But isn't that the death of the franchise? I mean, everyone seems surprised that like after the cartoon, Police Academy stopped as a franchise and you're like yeah you turned it into a kids cartoon what was already did you dead, think though? There, did you think there was going to be another movie after that uh, i think it's sort of like the joke about going into space though isn't it 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 was already dead they knew it was dead they were trying to eke out anything they could from this property anything they could and it was probably a I don't know what was successful, but I'm sure something went to cartoons. It was successful, so they thought maybe we can find success there. That That's the only reason I think they could exist, and they didn't care if it killed it. They just did because it was already dead. Just like when they sell a property off like the Amityville series or something, and I know that you did a whole thing on that. Those properties, they, they hit a certain point, and then they sell off the name. And so then they all go direct-to-video because they sold off the name because they can make a few more dollars by selling the property. And that's how we get some of this crap direct-to-video stuff. It's the same thing. It's it's sad to say it this way, but only people who really care about their properties and hold on to them and nurture them do you see something lovingly done with them. Okay, then how about this to, to finish out the night? What about when you have dueling properties in different media? For instance, like I said, you were on the Dirty Harry episode. There are nine Dirty Harry novels that have a completely different continuity than the movies. 
There are Rambo novels that have completely different continuity than the movies. The Death Wish novels, uh, after the first one, have nothing to do with the Death Wish movies. What about when you have a franchise in another media that is comp that is going concurrently with the movie franchise and they've got nothing to do with each other besides title? Is that still, like, are the Dirty Harry novels still part of the Dirty Harry franchise as we think about it? Or are those just something else? I, the answer is no. There, there's something else. Uh, I, I think the first thing that came to my mind was that story Sam Raimi told about when he uh, was pitching Evil Dead uh, to the uh, producers, and uh, so that well, the movie was already made. It was called Book of the Dead, and they were pitching it to the distributors and showing them the film. And they said, "Oh, I like what you got here, but we got to change that title." Like, "Oh, Dead, I like Dead, but uh, Book, oh." That sounds like reading, and nobody likes to think of that in movies, so we're going to get rid of that right away. The point to that is is that it's a different group of people. It's, it's, it's marketed to a whole other group, so those that invest in the novels are going to follow the novels, and I don't think they cared. I really don't think they cared at all. A, a, a novel franchise and a movie franchise that are concurrent with one another and yet are each ignoring the other one. Mm -hmm. I, I always well, find that kind of amusing. That and, you know... Obviously, there wasn't another Remo Williams movie. There was that TV thing. But, uh, uh, yeah, there, that seems to be the ongoing example. I mean, the Fletch books were very different than the Fletch movies. So I think that's just – they're just two different – they appeal to two different groups. That's what I think. Like I said, I'm not so sure two films constitutes a, fl a franchise because otherwise I think a really underrated franchise people need to check out, and I don't even think these are on DVD, are the, are the two Bruce movies. They call me Bruce and they still call me Bruce. Very funny movies. Very funny movies that, I mean, you know, there's only two films, so I don't know if that's a franchise or not, but the Bruce movies are, are hilarious. And unfortunately, they'd probably now be confused with the My Name is Bruce movie, which ironically enough has a similar premise, doesn't it? Of a guy named Bruce being thought to be an action hero from the movie. Now that I think about it, knowing Mark Verhotten wrote that, that may be an intentional homage. Because Mark Verheyen and Bruce Campbell are not plagiarists or thieves, so I would never think that. No, but, they're not. But that they close. might have intentionally been referencing the the '80s Bruce franchise for that. Now that I think about it, how similar the plots are. Well, yeah, I th in the first one, in, in the, the the they call me Bruce. That was a mistaken identity. Whereas my name is Bruce. They just they knew who he was. They just thought he was the guy from the. They movie. thought he was so, Ash Williams. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's still very different. It's still very different. But uh, but but you can see how Mark Verhoeden, being a very good writer, and Bruce Campbell being a great producer, probably did that as a joke. Oh, definitely. Because definitely. other than people like us, I bet we just turned on a bunch of people to the Bruce movies. Oh, they've got to see them. The first two are great. In fact, the sequel. If now it's been years, but I recall the sequel actually having more jokes. And the, you know, the sequel surprisingly more homophobic. There's a lot more gay jokes in the sequel. But I well, guess by then we were at the late 80s. AIDS is a thing, and I guess that was the thing. And it did remind me of one more thing. I'd like to say one more thing on this topic because we didn't really address this, the franchise of comedies. I was talking about story earlier, you know, having a story arc for a character or whatever. And once it's over, it's over. Comedies really do lend themselves well to sequels because generally they're so loose, you can do more with them. And that was something I forgot to bring up earlier, that they there is more you can do. Like, you know, they're talking about Beetlejuice 2 now. They probably should have done it 20 years ago. But 
that's open enough to where, yeah, you could do a sequel because it's, 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 well, first of all, and that one's a bad example for a good example, because it's already got this whole entire mythology about the netherworld and all that. But any comedy is, is open. If you understand what I'm going with that, just, you know, you could do anything. It's not like you're going to really destroy. Look, all the bad police Academy sequels didn't destroy the police Academy universe. Did it? It's still just police Academy and nobody's so attached to those characters. Like, Oh, they've destroyed their memory forever. They're probably the best four sequels. Maybe that's why there's so many sitcoms on TV. You know, that goes back to like the Ray Nicolette thing with Jay and silent Bob, you know, mall rats is kind of a sequel to clerk, you know, leaving clerks two out as an official sequel. Mall rats chasing Amy and dogma are actually sequels to clerks then aren't they? They really are. I mean, and in that particular case, he did he did plan it that way. And in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, the Clerks guys are in the movie and they're using, you know, the quick stop again. I'm surprised at how long some franchises go because I constantly see new releases and I go, what? They made another one of franchises like, like Legally Blonde or Free Will Friday. There are three Friday movies. Why? There are they're making a third Princess Diaries movie. Why? Who's asking for this? They're making you know? more barbershop movies. Yeah. Who is really asking for this? So I'm constantly asking that question. So I just wanted to to kind of look at the whole, what is a franchise, what's not, and why are some things franchises? So that said, you know who is a franchise? Fred Fritz. Where can people find him? Uh, still over at the Movie Apocalypse page on Facebook. Uh, that's it for now. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Right.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.